Welcome everyone, we're about to begin Be'eses Hashem, Shalom Bayez, Shir number 385. We're going to talk about withdrawing from withdrawal. John Gottman, as we reviewed one of his books thus far in the main Shiorim, and one of his books in the Panimi Shiorim, um, he calls withdrawal one of those four horsemen of the apocalypse, meaning what could destroy marriages. And he says that most stonewallers, which is his overall term for people who withdraw, most of them are men. And withdrawal can sound very passive, but it's actively destructive. And John Gottman lists stonewalling, especially when women stonewall, as a fairly reliable predictor of divorce. So it happens a lot by men more, and they need to work on it more. But a wife also, when she does it, it could be extremely damaging. And the idea really is when stonewalling arises, it's reinforced by what he calls emotional flooding. What does emotional flooding mean? And we had a few shiurim that explained this at length, but to explain it briefly is a husband, for example, feels overwhelmed with his wife's concerns, or sometimes she has some verbal attacks, so he gets overwhelmed. And this is very important. At this point in time, he warns in this case that a wife, although it's not always the wife, responds to her husband's withdrawal by beginning a conversation in a harsh manner where the words are hot and loud and intense and sharp. You never listen to me. You prioritize everything but me. You never pay attention to me. And when you say these statements in that very blunt way, with an anger, with a resentment, then it puts the other spouse on the defensive. Now, when you're an emotionally connected couple, you feel safe. But when you're not and you feel under attack, you want to defend yourself. And here is the big yesaid. If a spouse doesn't feel safe with you, they cannot feel intimate with you. So I'm going to repeat that again. If a spouse does not feel safe with you, then they cannot be intimate with you. If your marriage is not a place of security, it cannot become a place of emotional connection. Therefore, it's important before you express your anger, if you saw your husband or wife withdraw, before you express your anger, express your love. Before you express your disappointment, you express your overwhelming desire to be close to one another. I love you very much. I'm nervous about getting drifting apart. I really miss you. Are you okay? We have a challenge now, but it, it is pulling us apart, and I'm worried about it. What can we do about it? You think connection. You think safety. And that will pull you back together, despite whatever problem that's hap- happening now. Harsh words, verbal attacks, sullen silence, makes a bad situation worse. Mana rach meshiv chema. That's a very important aside in Mishlei. It works 98% of the time plus. A gentle answer turns away anger. And a harsh word stirs up the anger. Look at Mishlei, Perak Tesvav, Pasuk Aleph. And learn how that despite you're feeling some grief or some pain about a disconnection that you and your husband, you and your wife are having, to invite each other to talk with empathy and with love for one another. And this is something that research does show is that 
the fighting, and I, maybe I shouldn't use the word fighting, more like, let's put it this way, arguments or disagreements, is not necessarily a hazard to marriage. But emotional disengagement is indeed hazardous to marriage. So it's not the argument itself that creates the hazard to marriage. But if after that argument, there's an emotional disconnect because you withdraw from each other because of that fight, that is what is hazardous. So if a couple remains emotionally connected, they may have had an upsetting encounter with one another where they were upset at one another about whatever difference they may have. But if they stay, despite that um, uncomfortableness, they stay emotionally connected, then they will thrive. And here, uh, a wife reported, basically, the wife, which we said before, that that couple, and she had a postpartum depression episode in the first pregnancy. The second pregnancy got better. She ended up having four kids. And right after the fourth child, she basically was examining her marriage and took a fresh perspective on it and realized that something had to give. My husband couldn't work less hours, and we have the children that we have. We need to create that link with with one another, and we need to adjust to figure out how to connect. And that is a tremendously beautiful attitude. It really, husbands and wives both need to think about this and have that attitude and learn about it. Look at themselves and say, Baruch Hashem, we have children and we're busy with Parnassah and we all have our tears and everything else. But we feel sorry a little bit or regret a little bit that it sapped some of our energy away from each other and we got discouraged from one another, and we drifted apart from one another to a certain extent, because life isn't easy always and and creates some type of challenge. And therefore, we're going to think now how to go about to strengthen our emotional connection long-term through all the seasons of life going forward. And I'm going to take that first step. And it's very important, both of you, whoever's listening first, to take that step to take that step, even if temporarily you'll be carrying more of the load of the marriage to connect, it is important to step up and do that. And that is a key. So in a case where there's a postpartum depression, a husband needs to learn how to help his wife cope with that depression. And in a, a woman that may sense in her depression that her husband's withdrawing, to understand that her husband does not have a psycholog- psychology degree, he may not even understand what's going on with himself, but somehow we have to have to compassion that that withdrawal is not because he doesn't care and doesn't love her, but because he's feeling overwhelmed or hurt by the distance. And to have compassion and understand that that's happening. And again, it's very hard because when you're in a postpartum depression experience, it's hard to see that. But ultimately, as you pull out of it or pull out of whatever rut that happened to be, that you come out of it a little bit, and then you face and overcome something new to realize we got disconnected somehow and we're going to connect with each other despite temporary crazy hours, despite um, whatever the challenge may be. We are going to create this connection to each other because isolation is the biggest challenge. Isolation is this independent, I'm going to grit my teeth and bear it and deal with it can result in, in resentment and emotional distancing from one another. It's okay to admit that it's not an easy thing, that it's hard right now. You could admit both of you acknowledge, talk about it. We both feel short now. We both feel overwhelmed now. And of course, have a Muna Hashem is 
putting this Nisayan in to transform them. It seems like neither one of you haven't had fun for a very long time. But instead of resenting each other about it, pursue this empathy for one another. Empathy for your wife, who may have this postpartum depression or overwhelmingness. Empathy for your husband, that you lack right now the tools to show your true caring as a wife because of this condition. To be empathetic to each other because of this. And this empathy and this wanting the, 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 the feeling bad that you can't be for them as much as you really want to. That is really, really healing. Despite the fact that you're frustrated right now. But when you feel that empathy for your spouse and you, and you feel that empathy from your spouse, that creates a successful intimate marriage. And that is a, a beautiful way of healing and of binding the marriage together. So it's very important for couples, especially early on in their 20s, as they're growing and raising small children, could be beautiful, beautiful, and wonderful. But it's very important to strengthen that aspect of marriage. Sometimes you'll have to say no to things, whether it's in certain family obligations, whether it's even saying no to your own child in certain instances. Boundaries, I'll give you an example of not letting your kids sleep in your own bedroom at a certain point. You know, you put in a crib or whatever it is when they're very young, a certain point in time, it, it, it is a discipline and it's a wise investment to train where they get used to sleeping in their cribs or in their beds without needing their husband, mother and father. You could do it in a safe, safe way and you figure out how to go about it where they learn to be in their own, in their own rooms. And they should know that when the door is closed in the bedroom, they can't come into their mother and father's room. It's their Kaidish Kadashim. It's their time. They're not available anymore. Now, of course, it needs to be with understanding as a way, way they comprehend. Because a child can have a fever come in, not feeling well in the middle of the night. It happens a lot. It's normal. It's okay. In those situations, of course, you tell them if you're really not feeling well, you feel sick. A lot of them have these stomach viruses. They come in and they have to, you know, they throw up and they're, they're, they come in and they know they have a place to go. But when they are the children, and believe it or not, they could catch on on quite a young age that when they are doing well and they're fine, they, there's boundaries. So that boundary, that's just one example of it to know exactly when and how and at what age. But at some point where a child, you know, a year, year and a half, two, whatever it is, they learn to sleep in their own room. And the bedroom is off limits overall. And it's something as a boundary, even with one own, uh, one's own children. But one needs those boundaries. Another example is, is if you both have hectic schedules, sometimes it can be Shabbos itself when you both have more time to check in with one another, to talk to one another, especially those longer Friday nights where you could take walks together or try to have alone time together, talking things through, or long Shabbos afternoons at some point. Sometimes it needs to be Sundays that whatever is going on in the marriage to be as hectic as it is and as much as you didn't have time to talk to each other that much during the course of the week, to be intentional and deliberate about what you are um, you know, doing, what you're working on in your life, what your marriage is like right now. And it's important to stock, put, put, play stock in this and to grow and develop with this. You work with one another. You want to know that you feel loved by each other today. Anything that was hurtful that you know that was hurtful, you try to iron out right away. And 
work on those date nights. And again, it could be completely unrealistic if you have a lot of kids to, to go out on your own and get a babysitter. Then you may have to do these date nights, a lot of them at home. And after the kids are sleeping, you schedule them to go to bed earlier. You know, if you have young kids, they could be all in bed at 8, 8.30, 9. And they could work with one, one another after that, that that is our time alone at night after they're sleeping. And they do something together. In the Torah periods, they could be intimate with one another in a very special way. Or they could read books and they could play together uh, games or they could do whatever they need to do together to have that alone time together, even in their home, even if they cannot afford babysitting or they don't have the opportunity to babysit, to have the babysitting and their home, but they could have alone time at home, especially if they have younger kids that go to sleep at, at uh, earlier times. And it's not always possible because you have a different range of kids, right? You have kids that are under the age of 10, fine, or whatever it is. But you have kids under the age of 10 and other kids that are more teenagers, they stay up late. It's sometimes unusual or unrealistic to expect a couple to have three hours of alone time every night. And it may not be possible for many couples based on their family structure. But nevertheless, they need to find that time. Nevertheless... Uh, you you work it out. You figure out something and make make this idea that you know we, we we're going to sleep. It's an early house, quote unquote. We go to sleep early, and basically you tell your whoever they could stay up late, but uh, at ten o'clock we're we're resting, we're winding down already, and they know this. So you have some time later in night to unwind and to connect with one another. And this is very very important. That boundary is not making your kids suffer. That boundary of having alone time makes your marriage prosper. That ultimately will be the biggest benefit for your kids. As we said many, many times in the Shiorim, that your children need you to have a good marriage. Your children need you to have a good marriage. Your children need to see their father and mother love each other. They need to see a model for them of what a healthy adult marriage relationship is supposed to look like. Now, again, there's opinions this way or that way of whether to kiss each other or touch each other or hug each other in the presence of their children. Some people do it. Some people don't. We're not talking about overtly sexual things that obviously should only be in the bedroom. But I'm talking about just the non-sexual physical touch. Some hold this way. Some hold that way. Depends on culture. not saying there's a right. I'm not saying there's a wrong. But for those that do it, it's important to see it in a healthy way so they see it. And for those that don't, at the very least, they need to see somehow. If you have that culture or you feel as a couple you don't want to show a physical affection to each other in the presence of your children, then you need to somehow figure out a way to show real, true, emotional, verbal affection in many, many ways in front of the children so they see this, so they know that there is that affection. It is very, very key, very, very important. You raise your kids out of the fullness of your marriage, of of the fact that in the background they, they know and they sense that your marriage is full and vibrant and whole, not that it's empty. And it's very, very important. And again, we're going to say this, if you don't have a plan to stay connected, then you won't stay connected. You need to protect that plan to stay connected. You need to be deliberate. When you get married or afterwards you see it happen, you basically need to work on yourselves and on your marriage and say, we're going to work hard at this. We're going to connect. We're going to thrive. 
We're going to have a relationship, a real relationship with one another. We're going to make our marriage a priority, the priority in our lives. You know, you had, um, interesting, there was a famous biker, a winner of the Tour de France in in 2018. And he said very interesting um, concept, you know, and talked about the the way they take care of their health and, and how they keep in shape. And he said, professional bikers don't eat ice cream. In other words, their body weight has to be optimal. Every calorie they consume has to produce energy without creating excess fat. And you cannot have a maintain a biker's body, um, you know, that it, it, unless you do that. So that's just the fact. They say b- bikers don't eat ice cream. If you're a professional biker and you're taking your profession seriously, that's the end of the story. Same thing over here. When you look at the marriage, this is, you, you can't eat your ice cream and then also climb up high mountains and go up on a bike. You can't do both. Same thing. You want your marriage to remain intimate. You cannot ignore your schedule or level of energy. And you cannot hold back from being intimate. You can't hold back and say, make excuses, even if they're legitimate excuses, of why you can't connect and be intimate. You have to work on that. And there's nothing to talk about. That is a commitment. This is something we simply do. And you find out what works for you. You find out ways to connect. You find out ways to avoid that terrible nisayan of the little by little drifting apart of being passive in life. And it's the most understandable thing, but it's one of the most things that we truly need to work on very, very hard to fight and to work on connecting in the most deep way. Brochen Atzlachen.